It's Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse one to verse 10. This is what Holy Scripture says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, around 11 years ago, a group of seven men from Charleston, South Carolina, got together and set out for a fishing trip out into the Atlantic Ocean. And they left early in the morning and headed about 21 and a half miles offshore um, from the, from the, the, the shores of Cal- South Carolina. And this was supposed to be a fun day of fishing. Now, after a while, they got to their location and uh, they started fishing, but within about five minutes, the engine compartment started to fill with water and the boat rapidly sank. And the people there had no choice but to throw on their life jackets and then jump into the open water. Now, fortunately, a distress call was sent out, but the transmission was broken and the U.S. Coast Guard wasn't able to pinpoint their exact location. So these people were now officially lost at sea. It wasn't until after 20 hours, 20 hours of floating in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that the helicopter finally spotted this small group of men in the water, rescued them, and brought them safely home to their families. You gotta think, what, what, would it, what would it have been like to, to actually be in the water, to be in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in those shark-infested waters? I mean, for some of you, this is literally your worst nightmare. For these guys, they had absolutely no hope. There, there was nothing they could do for themselves. They didn't realize it at the time, but the ocean currents were actually pushing them further and further away from shore. And in every direction that they looked, all they saw was open water. The only hope they had was to be found and rescued by another. And praise God that the U.S. Coast Guard didn't give up on their search and rescue mission. You see, the the story of this family that is lost at sea that was lost at sea is actually a picture of the greater spiritual reality in our world today. 
But the problem doesn't have to do with just seven men who are lost at sea. The problem now is the millions and millions of people who are lost in sin. The Apostle Paul gives us a description of who the lost are in Ephesians chapter four, verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And the word I want you to pay attention to is alienated. They are alienated from the life of God. Every soul that is separated from God is spiritually lost. And what's scary is that a lot of people don't even realize it. Paul tells us that, Paul tells us that they are darkened in their understanding, they're, they're ignorant, and there's a hardness of heart. It's like they're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean without any food or proper water to, water to drink. Their, their very life is in grave danger, and they don't see what the problem is. You know, what we need to understand is that these lost souls are actually all around us. They're the people in our schools and at our jobs who don't believe in Jesus Christ. They're our neighbors who don't care about God and they're continually living in sin. There are very families and friends who are not putting their trust in the gospel. They're the hundreds and thousands of people that we see daily on the sidewalks, parks, grocery stores, and on public transit who have hardened their hearts to God. They are the souls that are perishing every single day without the hope of everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a world filled with lost souls, and the only way for them to be rescued from their spiritual lostness is for them to truly know God and be rescued by our Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? Jesus is on a search and rescue mission. But an essential part of that mission involves us going to and loving the lost. So two weeks ago, Paul began this series on love by talking about loving God. And then last week, we talked about loving one another. And today, I want us to think about loving the lost. And the place we need to begin is by first looking to Jesus, who himself perfectly loved the lost and set an example for us to follow. So first, Jesus loved the lost. When we reflect on the life and ministry of Christ in the Gospels, he, he was often criticized by the religious leaders of his day for spending way too much time with sinners, a.k.a. lost people. And, and one place where we see this very clearly is in Luke chapter 15. So you can open there again, Luke chapter 15. Look with me at verse 1. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, tax collecting was a despised occupation in this day. If, if you were a Jew and you were working as a tax collector, then you were basically labeled as a traitor to your own people because what you would do is take money from the Jews and give it to the Romans. And so you have tax collectors that are coming to Jesus, but then Luke also mentions sinners, which basically are every single other people who are living immoral lives that are contrary to Old Testament law. So I just want you to consider that for a second. Tax collectors and sinners. 
These are the kinds of spiritually lost people who were drawing near to hear Jesus. And he met them. He met with tax collectors and sinners and sick and unclean people, the despised and the rejected ones in society. And then verse 2 says, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're, they're grumbling. They're, they're upset. These religious leaders are looking at what's happening before them, and all they can think about is how unclean these people are and how inappropriate it is for a so-called rabbi to be spending time with them. You're not supposed to spend time with tax collectors and sinners. You're supposed to shun them and reject them and keep them at a distance. Have nothing to do with them lest they corrupt you and make you unclean. So Jesus, hearing their criticism, responds by teaching a series of parables. And the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The, the, the one lost sheep is the one that has gone astray and wandered away. The, this sheep is separated from the security and the safety of the shepherd. It's, it's helpless and it's hopeless on its own and it's bound to die. And so what does the shepherd do? The shepherd leaves behind the 99 safe sheep in order to search and rescue the one, just the one that is lost. And when his sheep is found, he, he doesn't whack it and he doesn't beat it or punish it for causing him so much grief or pain. Rather, he carries the sheep on his very own shoulders and he brings it back to the flock. And, and he rejoices and he calls all of his friends and his neighbors to rejoice with him. This is the very first parable that he teaches. The second is just like it, the parable of the lost coin. Look with me at verse 8. He, he continues on and he says, and what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? I mean, this lady, she already has nine other coins, but she's not willing to lose the one that she's lost. She lights a lamp indicating that it's late in the night. So she's willing to stay up late in, in the night and she methodically and carefully searches her entire house and she does not quit until she finds her lost coin. And then like the joyful shepherd, she rejoices when she finds it and she calls together all of her friends and her neighbors to have this big, giant celebration. You know, these first two parables are teaching one main message, and it is this, that the love of Christ is unrelenting. The love of Christ is unrelenting. The, the lost sheep and the lost coin are a picture of all those who are lost in sin, but the shepherd and the woman, they're a picture of Christ who mounts a search and rescue operation in order to save those who are lost. You see, the religious leaders are, are over here and they are busy shunning the lost. But Jesus, he's over here and he's busy searching out the lost. He loved them. He spent time with them. He taught them the truth. 
And when they, they, they came to him in humility and they confessed their sin and they turned their hearts to him in faith, he had compassion on them and he forgave them. That's what this third parable shows us, the parable of the lost son. Now, many of you know, know, know this uh, story well. As the story goes, the younger of the two sons takes one-third of his father's estate, and then he leaves the home and spends it all on a reckless lifestyle until he has nothing left. I mean, he's literally got nothing by the end of this, and so he ends up working for some stranger on his pig farm. You can say that this son was completely lost. He hit rock bottom. And when he realizes the gravity of his situation, he runs back to his father in humility and confesses his sin. Now, based on what this son did, the father could have disowned him and rejected him, or the father could have easily um, punished him by receiving him back and hiring him as a servant. But instead, the text tells us that he looked upon his son with compassion. And when he saw the son coming from a distance, he actually got up, ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. And then he gave him the the very best. He forgave him. He dressed him with the best robes, put sandals on on his feet, and he put together this giant celebration. In Luke chapter 15, verse 24, He said, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. See, this is what our God is like. When we come to him in humility and we confess our sins and and we ask for forgiveness, he will meet us with compassion and with love He he won't treat us as as our sins deserve, but he will extend mercy and grace. You know, this third parable has a bit of a different emphasis from the first two parables that Jesus teaches. But there is one major similarity that runs through all the parables. Do you know what it is? It's that there is a joyful, heavenly celebration when what is lost is finally found. And this joy and this celebration is a reflection of the joy of God himself and his heavenly host who join him to celebrate with him when a sinner repents and finds salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, there's one important truth that the religious leaders just fail to see. They could not fathom this wonderful and beautiful reality that Jesus actually came to love the lost. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. And what, is it, what did his only son come to do? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I want you to get that one. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was sent to the lost in order to seek after the lost so that he would save the lost. You know, some of you might be listening to this message today 
not knowing much about the Bible and, and wondering what Christianity is really all about. And let me tell you this. Our faith is all about the Jesus in the Bible. He is the Son of God who became a man, and he lived the perfect life, and he died for sinners. He died for the sins of his people, and the reason why he died for their sins was so that he might save lost souls to himself. He died the death that that we deserve so that those who put their trust in him would find eternal life in him. If you're not a Christian here today listening to this message, if you don't truly know God, if you don't truly love him, then you need to understand that right now, in this very moment, you are lost in sin. And and I know that you might not feel that way, but that is your spiritual reality, and it has eternal consequences. But the Bible says that if you turn away from your sins and you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you believe that he can rescue you from your sins, then the Bible says you will be saved and you will have the hope of everlasting life. So come to Jesus. He is the great rescuer of our lost souls and he is able to save. And to you, my brothers and sisters, we must always remember that we too, at one point, were all lost in sin. Ephesians chapter two, verse 12, Paul writes, remember, okay, he he wants you to remember something. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, right? Same language there, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Did you hear that? We were at one point separated from Christ. And the only reason why we are no longer separated and the reason why we are no longer lost is because God sent his only son to seek and to save us. We, we didn't deserve any of this. It's not like we had some kind of VIP status with the Lord. No, we were lost in the vast ocean of our own sins and yet Jesus still came after us. And he didn't stop until he rescued us. And as his saved people, Jesus is now sending us back into the world so that we would actually be able to join him on his mission to go seek and to save lost souls. The resurrected Jesus said this in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm sending you, is what Jesus says. Therefore, we must love the lost. We can't afford to ignore and shun the millions and millions of people in our world today who are lost in sin and bound to eternal death. We need to love the lost like Jesus loved the lost. Now, in this section, I want to share with you four resolutions of love that we all ought to commit to in order to love the lost like Jesus loved the lost. So here's the first resolution of love. Pursue and be present with the lost. 
Now, we need to be careful that we're not like the Pharisees who were filled with all kinds of self-righteousness and just kept their distance from the tax collector, sinner, sick, and the unclean. Listen, Christian love doesn't pull you away from other people. Christian love draws you in towards other people. I mean, just consider Jesus Christ again. He he didn't just remain in heaven in the safety and security of a loving relationship with his father and his angels and merely just talked about how much he loved the lost. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ becoming a man, was an act of loving pursuit for the lost. We didn't go running to Jesus first. No, no, he came to us first. And he broke through all kinds of spiritual and cultural barriers in order to reach the lost. Brothers and sisters, let's not be in the business of just talking about how much we love the lost Let's go and actually love the lost. In the Great Commission, Jesus calls us to go and make disciples, not not stay, hide, and shun the lost. Listen, it's not the desire of Christ that we would remove ourselves from this world. Did you get that? Jesus doesn't want us to recuse ourselves. Rather, he prays on the contrary. He, he, he prayed himself in John chapter 17, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them, his people, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. For the time being, Jesus wants us to be in the world. Not of the world, but in the world. And one of the main reasons is that we might lovingly engage the lost with the gospel. And and this needs to be done with with all wisdom and care and sensitivity. But look, the, the, the main thing, the main point that I want to get across here is this. Don't avoid the lost. Don't don't run away from them. Don't don't fear them. Don't reject them. Don't don't ignore them. Love them by pursuing them and be present with them. And as you do that, seek to commit to the second resolution of love, prepare to make sacrifices for the lost. Romans chapter nine, verse three, Paul writes, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you actually hear what he said there? These are weighty words. Paul is actually saying that if it were at all possible, he would be willing to give up and sacrifice his place in glory so that his fellow people, the Jews, and remember, these are the ones who had persecuted him, he would sacrifice his place in glory if it meant they could be saved. Let that just sink in for a moment. Paul is willing to suffer an eternal hell so that people who reviled him, 
who rejected him, who persecuted him, who afflicted him, might go to heaven. What about you? Would you actually be willing, if it were at all possible, to make that sacrifice for the lost, even for the people who have treated you unjustly and unfairly? Those are staggering words to consider. But do you know what's even more staggering? The very thing that Paul wished for yet couldn't do is the very thing Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, Paul only wished he could be accursed in order to save his people. But Jesus, he was actually cursed to save his people. On the cross, Jesus suffered hell so that his lost people wouldn't have to. He made the ultimate sacrifice to save the lost. Look, if the Bible makes one thing absolutely clear about love, it is this, that true Christian love is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. And so if we are going to truly love the lost, then we need to be prepared to make great sacrifices for them. And that might mean sacrificing your time, your your energy, your resources, and in some cases, maybe even your own life. Now, although it would be impossible for any of us to be accursed for the sake of the lost people in our lives, we should always remember that we can always point them to the one who actually made that great sacrifice. So here's the third resolution of love. Preach the gospel to the lost. Look, we, we, we can make all kinds of great sacrifices in our lives to demonstrate our love for the lost, but if we don't actually communicate the truth of the gospel, then the lost will, will remain lost forever. Because as it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And, and this is something that, that, what, that some of us are going to do right away, and other times this is something that we'll do later on, especially as we learn to build relationships and a friendship with other people. But whatever the strategy is for you, whatever works for you, we should eventually have a goal to clearly and faithfully preach the gospel to the lost. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But they can't believe unless they hear. And they can't hear unless someone is willing to tell them. And do you know who that someone is? That is us. It's those of us who know Christ already. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul writes, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. See, God has ordained to use us as his spokesperson in the world to preach the good news of the gospel to the lost. And so we ought to trust in his ways and boldly go and preach this life-giving message in Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. And as you preach the gospel to the lost, 
make sure that you follow through with this last resolution of love. Pray that God would save the lost. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Let's not forget that the reason why we pray to God is because salvation is ultimately a work of his hands. And I understand that this is a, definitely a, a unique situation where our capacity to meet people and preach the gospel is very limited because of the restrictions of this lockdown. But that doesn't mean we can't pray for the lost. We, we have such a great opportunity here to love the lost by way of praying for their salvation. And so don't waste this time. Don't waste this opportunity. Get on your knees and pray for the lost people in your personal life. And you could even go on places like Operation World and Prayer Cast and pray for countries, many that have not seen the gospel at all. And as you seek to pray, remember our very own missionaries and pray for the people that they're reaching the gospel with. The Lord works through the prayers of his people and he calls on us to pray for the lost. You know, there may be some of you hearing this message today, uh, maybe feeling convicted and discouraged because you haven't loved the lost like you ought to. You haven't pursued the lost. You haven't prepared to make sacrifices for the lost. You haven't preached to the lost and prayed for the lost maybe in a really, really long time. And if, and if that's you and, and, and you're, you're, you're feeling guilty and ashamed of yourself, then Christian brother, Christian sister, I would just say this to you. Take the very gospel that you're supposed to share to the lost and preach it to your own heart. Look, you are not saved because of your love for the lost. You are saved because Jesus perfectly loved the lost. And so get that gospel into your heart again and again and let it fuel your love for the lost. And then pursue them. Prepare to make great sacrifices for them. Preach the gospel to them and pray that our great Savior Jesus Christ would fly in and rescue his people that are lost in sin. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we look to you and we pray that you would do your mighty work of salvation as the gospel is preached to the lost. We look to you, Lord, because you are the God of our salvation. Only you are able to save, and you sent Jesus Christ into our broken world for this very reason. So help us to have faith. Help us to go out there boldly and to love the lost as you loved the lost. And may you save many souls to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.